Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Hey, you're welcome to be seated. I um, just want to especially welcome those who are visiting along here with us this morning. If you're a guest, if someone brought you along, massive welcome to you. And a special welcome to my brother and sister-in-law who are down the back. Duncan and Chantel, and also Chantel's father and older sister. So good to have uh, you with us this morning. Uh, today's a great Sunday, isn't it? Awesome to be in the house of God and just worshiping, making some noise, enjoying what it is to be family. And um, Debbie mentioned that we love hearing stories, you know, that we love hearing actually what God's doing in this world and in this church family. You know, when you get a prayer answered, we actually want to get a little bit excited about that. Um, and, and we want to know about it, whether, you know, you haven't answered a prayer, whether it's something physical, whether it's something spiritual in your life, whether, uh, what else have we got? Whether it's provision, you know, if you get like suddenly win the lottery, like let us know, especially, uh, you know, we're going to celebrate with you and, and, and share that story of God's faithfulness. And um, it's so cool this year, Jared's, uh, you know, launching uh, Fantail Media uh, with a team of people. And this is all about pursuing the recording of God moments, you know, of like when God shows up and we know, hey, actually, you know, we could say this was a coincidence, but we know that God, all good things come from God. All good things, the Word said, come from the Father of heavenly light. So we want to document your stories. Make sure you, if something happens that you, you know, whether you're praying for something or whether you have a breakthrough, just get it to our info desk, write it down. We'll get in touch and we'd love to just continue to share that. I think Debbie Lambert as well, is, she's all about helping us collate what God is doing in this church. You know, the Bible actually encourages us to remember. It uses kind of this word, whether it's Hebrew or Greek, around 160 times. You know, Jesus said, hey, you know, remember me. And, and he took communion. And he taught the disciples, you know, how to break bread. This is my body broken. This is my body poured out. And, and, he, and he said, remember this. Remember what, what I've done. And, and many of you will know the story of the Israelites. And they, you know, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They were in between. They were in this big, like, like what's going to happen next in our future? And they were in this wilderness. And in that, uh, in that space, uh, God, the Bible says, supernaturally provided for them. It says that their clothes never wore out. Wow. You know, fashion never progressed in 40 years. Imagine if that was us and we're sitting here wearing 70s apparel. Come on. Uh, you know, we, we, some of us may be excited. Who would be excited about that? Yeah, we've got some excited 70s people here. Hey, no one's stopping you. Next week, bring it. We won't shun you. <laughs> so God, their, their clothes never wore out. And the other way that God provided for them was by feeding them uh, food from heaven, it was called the food of God. It was like, it's this manna. Well, this is not real manna. This is crackers. But just as a little, you know, it's kind of looked, it kind of looked a bit like that, I think. And, and, and manna actually meant, what is it? 
<laughs> that's, that's what it meant. Like God was like, put it on the ground. They said, what is it? Oh, it shall be called, what is it? And, and so they, um, they ate, what is it? For, for 40 years, and the Bible says that it tasted, tasted like wafers made with honey. So that was pretty awesome. And then God gave Moses, who's leading the Israel's, uh, Israelites, instructions within the first week of this manna actually coming and, and, and being their food source. And, he, and he, said, he said, hey, this is something you need to remember. And it says in Exodus 16, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. See, manna, uh, it, it was God's provision. And, and God was like, hey, hey, Israelites, I never want you to forget what I've done for you. In fact, it's so important that you put it in a jar and you put it, it's so sacred that you put it next to the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. Like what I did needs to be remembered, not only just so the generations can go, oh yeah, sweet, that's awesome, God did that, you know. But it's so that when they're going through a wilderness season, it's when they're leaning into God and going, I don't know what way I'm going with my life. I don't know if I'm going to get well or, or what have you. They can look at that provision and they can say, I remember that God provided for me. I remember that He was faithful to me. Let it be a reminder for the future generations to come. You know, in 400 years, when you're great, 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 you know, <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if we had jars full of our testimonies and God moments where our grandchildren could, you know, reach into history and pull out and say, wow, look at, look at my great, great, great granddad. If he's done, if God did that, then he can do it again. He can do it again. And today I want to open up an incredible story of God's purposes in our nation, in the nation of New Zealand that was unfolding around 200 years ago. And, and in telling this story, you know, just disclaimer, I've got no political angle that I'm attempting to push or anything like that. I'm way too ignorant for that kind of stuff. This story is, is it just needs to stand alone because it's, you see in this story the raw power of the love of Christ and the message of the gospel washing over the people of this land. And we believe that He's done it before and He can what? He can do it again. He can do it again. And so this story is actually, I've taken this from a book. It's a true story, story and it's called Who Are You Come Home? That's the name of the book. Uh, the author is J. Rakua, and uh, a disclaimer, I've, I've, I've never spoken Māori very well at all. I'm going to be attempting to say, you know, six or seven different Māori names. I've been trying to learn how to say these names properly, but I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, so please don't be offended when I don't. Uh, so anyway, we're going to start, we're going to jump in here. So Tarori, she was 12 years old. She was the daughter of the Māori chief Nakuku, and they lived in the Matamata area. And this year is 1835. 
Nakuku, he had accepted Christ in a church uh, mission base like a, uh, that, that Alfred and Charlotte Brown had established in the same year within that region. And they'd been given, like, he'd been given one of the first copies of the Gospel of Luke that had been translated into Māori by some local missionaries. And, and, you know, no one could read it. And so he, he entrusted this special book to his daughter, Tarori. And she would carry the Gospel of Luke around in a wee kitty, in a wee uh, basket around her neck just to keep it safe. And, 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 and it was a treasure, and she would take it to bed with her, and, and it was her dad's. And so she wanted to look after it and protect it as, as well as she could. However, Nakuku's uncle, Wairoa, who was a great chief in Rotorua, became upset with Nakuku's tribe. So he sent warriors over to fight the people of Matamata. And, you know, back in that day, in that time, in that context, that was how you did business. That was how you dealt with an issue. You would hit the warrior button and they would go. And, and, and so, but Nakuku, he'd, he'd decided not to fight his uncle. He, he'd been impacted by the missionaries. And he said, I'm following Jesus now. He's the Prince of Peace. And I don't want to fight. So instead of fighting, he took like those that he could and he fled into the Kaimai Ranges. But Wairoa's warriors tracked them down and, and found them in the, in the middle of the night. So everyone, you know, they just did what they could and they escaped into the forest as best as they can to wait uh, until dawn. But Sadly, in the morning when they made their way out back into the campsite, they discovered that Tarori had been killed by the warriors. And, you know, can you imagine her father's heart broken? Nukuku is just de devastated and he picks up her lifeless body. And when he picks her up, he also notices that the Bible, the Gospel of Luke, was missing. So Nukuku returned home to his village uh, near Matamata with his daughter and, and buried her there. And this is actually a photo um, up there of her grave site. It's on private property near Matamata. And at her funeral, Nakuku said these incredible words. And these are recorded. He says, There lies my child. She has been murdered as a payment for your bad conduct. And he was speaking to his tribe at that point. But do not rise up to obtain satisfaction for her. God will do that. Let this be the conclusion of the war with Rotorua. Let peace now be made. So this was huge. This was a new paradigm for the people to look through the lens of life at. And, and because vengeance was the normal response, it was at that time, it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. And so, but this, this powerful act uh, of forgiveness began this avalanche of grace that actually rolled right throughout New Zealand, right throughout our nation. And I just want to remind you that when we forgive, something powerful happens through us, that forgiveness attracts the attention of heaven. It, the, it attracts the ear of the Holy Spirit, and the, the Holy Spirit has permission to put things in order when we let go and we forgive others. Forgiveness changes families and communities, and as you'll see, forgiveness can even 
impact nations. You know, when Jesus gave his first address to Israel around the age of 30, um, Israel as a nation, they were in this state of oppression under Roman rule. And the Jews were expecting uh, the Messiah, there were prophetic words right throughout the Old Testament, the Torah, that, that said that there would be a Messiah coming. And they were expecting a liberator. They were expecting like King David, who, you know, took down Goliath. They were expecting Gideon, who, you know, with a band of 300 warriors, just wiped out 100,000, I think, Midianites. You know, they were expecting like, this is how we're going to get it done. You know, we're, we're going to, we're, we're the warrior way. And, and so Israel were there and Jesus is, um, you know, is going to speak to them and they're ready for a plan. And they're like, what's the big vision, Jesus? Let's go. Let's go do this. How are we going to take our freedom back? But Jesus, you know, the stuff that comes out of his mouth totally flips their idea of freedom, or at least his idea of freedom, on its head. And he spoke out what we know as the Beatitudes. And this is just a few nuggets from the Beatitudes in uh, Matthew 5. It says, Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, Jesus didn't just give these instructions as a giant wet blanket to just kind of like, you know, like we're just going to be so passive in our, you know, and what we're going to do here. He was actually giving this out to make sure that people would get unlocked from their inner prison, unlocked from the inside out. And he had a kind of a message that wasn't just for the Israelites. It was actually for the Romans as well. It's like everyone gets to be a part of this gospel of freedom. And he's showing us, you know, that our true identity and this freedom that we're all looking for and searching for, you know, in this world actually comes through viewing ourselves through the lens, you know, of the Father as sons and daughters of God. That's the lens that He wants us to look through life out. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer orphans. We're, we're not cast out. The Bible says that we're brought near through Christ, that we're a part of the vine. So Nakuku, he, he, he was getting this. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And humility empowers the Spirit of God, you know, to work through us. Humility gives us this access, the Beatitude says, to our inheritance. And in 1835, God was actually releasing this inheritance of peace through the nation, to the nation of New Zealand, through the chief Nakuku. And because of his humility, you know, Nakuku, he didn't know who had taken, you know, this book. He didn't know who had killed his daughter. But a, a month later, he discovered that it was a warrior whose name was Uita. Uida had taken the book from Tarori, and but he'd seen it as a treasure. He didn't know how to read it, but he, he, he was like, I'm going to keep this and I'm going to take it back to Rotorua. And at this point in the story, something random happens. Everyone say random. <laughs> but you know, it's just not random when God gets involved. It's just not 
that random. And someone just happens to be randomly passing through Rotorua, and he meets Uita. And this guy's name is Ripaho. And he had been, uh, he was actually a released slave from Northland. And he was on his way home, and he was passing, you know, like public transport, like through the North Island, walking. <laughs> and he bumps into Uita. And they connect. And Uita shows Ripaho the Gospel of Luke. See, what was awesome is that while uh, Ripaho was in Northland, missionaries had connected with him and taught him how to read. So Ripaho begins to read Uita, the Gospel of Luke, and he is so impacted by the story, this Jesus who forgave people, this Jesus who was hanging on the cross, who had been murdered, who, who said, you know, hey, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And these words go so deep into the heart of Uita that he decides that he's going to go to Nakuku and ask the father of Tarori to forgive him for what he did. And this also is an incredible moment in our history. So Uita, he humbles himself and he asks Nakuku for forgiveness and Nakuku forgives him. Incredible reconciliation happened between the tribes where, you know, revenge was the norm, where it was Utu, you know, it was all just payback. So Ripahu continues on his journey home down to Otaki. Actually, and I think we've got a picture of that, of the gospel of like, that's the 1835 Maori gospel of Luke. And not long after Ripaho arrives in Otaki, a war party from Rotorua passed through, bringing with them a bundle of stolen books. And amongst the plunder is Tarori's Gospel of Luke. I don't know what went down in Rotorua, but it probably wasn't pretty. And Ripaho, he recognizes this little book again. It's got Nakuku's name written on the inside cover. And so he keeps the book. And although this guy, he's not a follower of Jesus, he's like, I'm going to use this book to practice my reading skills. <laughs> so Reaper, he read the gospel aloud to some of those who were, who were listening. And, and, and people used to come around and they'd come around and, and some of them would just hang on every word. And those who were attracted to his story was a guy called Tamihana Tiraprahah. And he was the son of the famous warrior chief in Kapiti, Tiraprahā. And Tiraprahā, he was, you know, he was a military man. He had led raids all over New Zealand, particularly in the South Island, and, and a lot of grief uh, followed in his wake. And his marae was on Kapiti Island, and it was a perfect fortress, uh, and, and just at a, you know, it was a real place where it was so hard to attack. And so he had this advantage. But his son, Tamihana, listened to the gospel with his cousin as Ripahu practiced his vernacular. <laughs> Whoa, on cue. It's powerful. <laughs> and the two of them became super captivated by the words, they were so captivated that they convinced Ripaho to come to Kapiti Island with them 
And for six months, they digested the gospel of Luke. And this is what Tamihana wrote. We learn every day, every night. We did not lie down to sleep. We sat at night in the hut all around the fire in the middle. Matane, that was his cousin, had part of the book and I part. Sometimes we went to sleep on the book. And when we woke up, we read it again. After we'd been there six months, we could read a little slowly. <laughs> this was New Zealand's first Bible college. And this is an image of Tamihana as well. Um, I have some, some, older, there's some older photos of his face as well, but he looks really grumpy. So I found a younger one that was painted. But they stayed there so engrossed in the Word of God and they decided that they needed to know more about the story. So they boarded a ship, and they traveled up to Northland, and they wanted to connect with missionaries up there and ask them to come down to the Southland to teach his tribe more about this way that they had discovered. And there they met a famous New Zealand missionary called Henry Williams, and, and, and they asked, they said, please send someone to, to Otaki, but... Henry said, I haven't got anyone suitable. And refusing to take no for an answer, they, they would not return home without a missionary. And overhearing their conversation was this young and severely asthmatic Octavius Hadfield. And he was 24 years old at the time. Anyone here who's 24? 24 any 24-year-olds? Just give me a wave. Almost. No. There's a 24-year-old down the back. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Vince. <laughs> Come on. He's 24 years old. He's in a foreign nation. He's, got, he's severely asthmatic. And he took up their challenge, and he said, I'll go. I know I'm not going to live long, and I may as well die there as, I may as, well die there as here. <laughs> and they thought his terms were suitable, so they sent Octavius. <laughs> we'll take you. You'll do. I just want to give uh, our young people just this verse to, to take home today. 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Don't let anyone let, look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I just want to add in courage, in zeal. Just get dangerous with faith. Do something radical with your life. Don't get comfortable this guy, Octavius, he's 24 years old, he's wheezy, and he goes down south. He became the first priest to be ordained in New Zealand, get that. But when he arrived in Otaki, a Māori witch doctor put a curse on him for ignorantly breaking some kind of customary uh, practice, and it wasn't a great start, and they all, everyone kind of stood back and expected him to die because this Witch doctor must have been really successful, but he didn't die, and 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 it was and instead there was a shield of protection around Octavius, and, and a few days later the witch doctor dies. Hey, some compassion for the witch doctor, <laughs> and everyone's like flip, you know, like you were like, whoa, this guy's got some power. On him, and so he's like immediately he calls this this the first prayer meeting of Otaki, and a thousand people show up. Come on, let's go. We got prayer service tonight. <laughs> you got some, you know, discover some power 
on your life. And so a thousand people show up, and that's what we called revival. People got saved, and, and, and the, the region started awakening to the gospel. But it gets better. Tamihana and his cousin, they decide that they can't keep this good news to themselves. So they go, they're like, we're going to go to the South Island. This was a controversial idea because his father, you know, Tiraprah, he was a famous chief and, and they'd wage war there. And so he didn't know, Tamihana didn't know how he would be received. And his dad was not happy. He was like, no, we're the warrior way. You're, you're my son and you're expected to follow in my footsteps as a warrior. But Tamihana responded with a firm, no, I've decided to follow the gospel of peace and they traveled to the South Island. These are the words of Tamihana. He says, after a time, Matani and I decided to take the message to the Naitahu. Tiraprah was very angry with us for going to the Naitahu. This is in the South Island. Soon all the Naitahu were uh, there believed in the word of the true God of heaven. The Naitahu chiefs would keep asking me, is your father planning to come here and kill us and take our lands? I told them, no, he will not come for I have brought peace with the gospel of the Lord. Come on. That was, it was radical. And over about 10 years, uh, him and his cousin, they traveled around the South Island. And in that time, the 64,000 Māori people were added to the Church of New Zealand. That was over half of the Māori population uh, in church. And at this time, you've got to remember that there were only a couple of thousand Europeans here in New Zealand because God was doing something incredible in our land. He was healing in our land, because one man, <laughs> right back, there were a lot of one man moments, weren't there? But Nakuku, he chose the humble way. Tamihana chose the gospel of peace. You know, he actually ended up sailing to England and he met Queen Victoria. He was an incredible reformist who wasn't just touched by you know, colonialism, it wasn't that. It was that the gospel of peace, the news of Jesus Christ came into his heart. And 200 years ago, you know, it was like our nation came together under the gospel as one. And I just want to say that God is still alive and at work in our nation. He is all about restoration, redemption, and it is to be spread with the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, this week we've celebrated Waitangi Day, and our nation so needs <laughs> to know reconciliation on so many levels. Maybe that's even in your own home. Maybe that's with your brothers and your sisters. Maybe that's where we need to start. But where there is brokenness and where there is pain, you know, Jesus makes a way where there seems to be no way. And we are so privileged as a nation to have our national anthem, aren't we? Isn't it incredible? God of nations at thy feet, in the bonds of love we meet. It's a declaration of the biggest why that we could ever get as a people to come together because of the bonds of love. And we believe that we will be a nation one day, you know, bound together under heaven because of love. I just want to invite 
uh, Pastor Lynn Fru up to the front. She's going to pray over us here. She's going to pray over our government, over our region. And I just want to invite you to stand and just to agree with these words. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for the nation that we're privileged to be born into or to have migrated to. Father, we thank you for the plans and purposes that heaven holds for this nation and through this nation. We thank you for the covenant that was made with the people of the land, the Tangata Whenua. And Lord, we just lift up to you again the karakia and the waiata that were prayed and sung at Waitangi over this past week. Father, we thank you that even though maybe some of the people who prayed don't really know you, that, Father, those words were a cry to you. A cry, Lord, that you would bring unity and peace and oneness in our nation. We welcome you, Father, to be the Father, the Lord, the King of this nation. We say, Haremai, Father. Haremai, Jesus. Haremai, Wairuatapu. We open our hearts, our community, and our land to you. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. This is your land. Father, we thank you for that revival way back in the 1800s. We thank you for the moves of your spirit across this nation, amongst Māori, European and others over the last 200 years. But Father, would you hear our cry? Would you hear our cry for a fresh move of your spirit in this nation? Hear the cry of our spirits, Lord, the hunger that we have to meet with you and to have our family our neighbours, our friends, our communities, our workmates, our school friends, our teammates, our uncles and aunties, our politicians, our teachers at school, the people in business world, the people in media, the people in justice, the people in the armies, to have their hearts opened to you. Father, revival came, one, because people took your word and spoke it. They treated your word as a treasure and declared it. And two, Father, you move sovereignly. We thank you for all the prophetic words spoken over our nation. And Lord, we want to add our part to those and be ones that treasure your word and release your life wherever we go. Father, we pray that we would not be people of a political spirit but a people, Lord, of your spirit so that we see your plans and purposes for this nation, no matter who they come through. And in this election year, Lord, we want to be focused on seeing what you are doing and lifting up to you our nation, our politicians, our lawmakers. We ask, Father, that you would come and you would whisper 
into their spirits and awaken them to know you. We ask that you'd surround them with godly advisors. Lord, our nation needs wisdom from above, not the wisdom of man. And so today, Father, we declare, God, defend New Zealand. Let your name be glorified across our nation, in our homes, in our communities. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening.